Two weeks ago, the last time I spoke to you, I spoke about do unto otters. So I wore my otters mask this morning. So you can be reminded to do unto otters. Uh, Alaska otters, Trevor, the artist right here. Wait, wave your hand, Trevor. Trevor actually put his art to masks and all kinds of other things. You too could have a, an otter's mask, I suppose. Thanks, Trevor, because that was, that was pretty cool to run around with an otter's mask after that message. Big day today. Big celebration day today. Um, you know, we, we launched all of our fall ministry stuff over here over the last week. And so that's been fun because we've got people and, and young people and, and things running around campus during the week, which has been, been pretty cool because it's been some quiet months uh, that we've been going through. But today is a great day. It, it is an awesome celebration. Ten years ago, not quite to the day, but ten years ago, we gathered for the very first time as the Open Door Christian Church. We get, yeah, you can woo that. We got some woos this morning. I, I, I had the privilege of preaching the first ever message at the brand new Open Door Christian Church. And what it was is a what if message because that was where my brain was at. What if? What if it works? Everybody told me about what if it fails. I, you hear that all the time. But my, my thought was what if? What if this works? What if God blesses it? What if this is what we're really supposed to be doing? And so a decade later, we're in a different worship space, very different worship space, because we, we actually started our first service in the, in the Seventh-day Adventist church on the pond in New London, and they were incredibly gracious hosts. They worship on Saturday, and so they said, as long as we preach Jesus, we can be there on Sundays. And so we got to do that for a year. So now here we are in this very different space on land we actually own and, and we got more land around us that we're buying and it's a different space and most of you were not there. A few of you were there that first Sunday. Most of you weren't there and had never even heard about the place. So we've got a lot more people, but you know, the reason for our celebration today has got nothing to do with what we've done right. It's got nothing to do with what we've done right at all. What it's got to do with is what God has done among us. It is a celebration that God is at work in the world today and you are evidence of it. And that's exciting. Because we knew when we started out, one of the very first things we said is that, you, you know, that we're planning this church in order to do all this stuff. And there's a lot of work when you're moving in and out of a building on, on Sunday morning. The lady that said it would be a good idea to bake cookies because it didn't always smell so good in there is here. And she baked cookies. Whoever would have thought that would have been the thing you do as a church plant. But you did. And you walked in the door and it's like, ah, it's home. And we realized and we told people early on the reason that we're doing this is for people that we haven't met yet. God's calling us to be a voice to the community and a voice to the world, to people we haven't met yet. And if we do our part right, God is going to bless us and we're going to have an opportunity to meet new people. And you're it. You are some of the new people that we've had a chance to meet. And so it is not a celebration of us and our accomplishments. It is a celebration of God and his faithfulness and what he's done among us. You know, you look back on the 10 years and it's what God has done in us and with us and through us as well as for us as a congregation. But you as an individual person should be saying, what if, what if God, what what if I gave my life to you? What would you do in and with and through me? And that's what we're going to talk about today is what if. So today we celebrate 10 years of God at work among us. Where did we start? Quick history, right? We started with seven people as a Bible study in a coffee shop in downtown New London with a guy who was absolutely, after 11 years, fed up and done with ministry. I was over it. I had been there. I was sick of it. I wasn't going on. 
but we had a Bible study. That Bible study led to a group of 12 people who were ready to plant this church that first Sunday morning. And amazingly, God in his mercy brought 46 people. I have no idea how they heard about us. 46 people came and worshiped that day. And the text that I used was Acts 2, 42 to 47. And it was for a very specific reason. It's the text that I'm going to use today. I preach the text from Acts 2, 42 to 47, and I'm going to use it again because our call, our purpose, our reason for being, our mission, God's call to us and on us hasn't changed in those 10 years. And Acts 2, 42 to 47 gives us a really good description and a look into the first Christian church as God designed it and the way that God intends all of his churches to look like. And so if you've got your Bibles, go to Acts 2. We're going to start in verse 42. This is where we began 10 years ago. And they, the new believers, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and their belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So a little bit more of the history now, huh? Ten years ago... In January, God and a man named Harlow Johnson showed up in the office of the church that I served. And Harlow said, I want to have a conversation with you, and this, this might be a, a, a dangerous one. I said, why is that? Well, you might have to lose everything that you have. <laughs> that sounds interesting. Talk. And he said, we've got to be able to do better for God. We've got to be able to do better for God. And so God and Harlow conspired together and asked me to pastor and plant a non-denominational Bible teaching church in my hometown. And right there, I should have known better and said no. Because I was done with ministry. I mean it. I was burned out. It it seemed like it didn't matter how much effort went into things. It, It just didn't go anywhere. People didn't care. They all figured they'd heard and knew everything there was to hear and know. But instead, they're running away from the possibility, the impossibility of planting a church with zero funding or financial backing from any parent or partner church instead of all the obstacles. And I told the first group of elders that do you realize if a church that's funded has a 97 percent chance of failing in the first two years, 97 percent. And that's if they got money. We don't have that. That means we've got less than a three percent chance of making it. And we started talking about what if. So I agreed and I said, but there's going to be a couple of conditions. And one of them is it's got to be unlike any church I've ever been a part of in my life. Now, I've been blessed to grow up with Christian parents in a Christian home. I don't remember Sundays as a kid not going to church because at our house, mom and dad were real clear. Sunday was church. You could do other things in the afternoon and evening. But Sunday morning was church time. Nothing got in the way of that. And if there was events and things going on the rest of the day, we were at those too. I do not remember. There probably was. I don't remember a Sunday that we didn't go to church. If for whatever reason we were out of town, mom and dad lined up a church and that's where we were on Sunday morning. It instilled in me the belief that as a Christian, that's one of my responsibilities is to be in Christian community that one day a week. So I agreed, but I said, it's got to be unlike any other church that I've ever been a part of, because the one thing that seemed to be missing in all those churches was outside of my parents and a handful of other people, people that really believed what they were being told. 
So I said, it's got to be unlike anything else. It's got to be a church that is like what we see in the Bible. It's got to be a church like what God created and planted in the book of Acts, which I think is what every church really wants to be. It's just that so quickly we get pressured out of being that. It can't be a church that the the leadership or the denomination or the committee or the business plan or the money or the lack of money tells us what we have to be. We've got to set our sights on becoming something that God calls us to be. And they said, "Okay, let's do it. So we began and I pulled out the best description of what I could see as church after God's own heart that I could find. It's the description that we just read. And so I read this text with with new eyes, with new hope, asking God, you know what? You're going to have to give a new vision here because I haven't seen anything in my past that can really help me shape anything here. And if it's going to be for you, it's got to be from you. So with a God-sized hope and a a dream and and absolutely nothing to bring to this brand new baby of a church other than my faith in God and my willingness to do whatever God asked, I read what had been and I read what God had done. And this group of seven that became a group of 12 said, that's enough. If this is what God wants, it's going to happen. It's going to work. That, That group of 12 carried me those first couple of weeks where I wasn't really sure that that's where we were supposed to go. And so off we went. So that's the first Sunday. I said, what if, what if God were to do again what he did in the book of Acts? What if God were to show up on earth right here in New London Spicer and have a miracle where people were in awe of who God was? Not in the church or the worship or the preaching, but God, if they were in awe of who God was. What if God actually did that again? What if we believed in the unlimited unlimited power of God so completely, so honestly, so totally, and we trusted him with the what ifs? And then we trusted him with the results, no matter how impossible something seemed. Do you know we're 10 years down the road and we've never had the money in hand to do anything? Not once in 10 years. But elders have learned to pray, and when they believe and they know and they understand that this is where God is calling us, they have learned to say yes, and then God provides. So when we get to the offering, and I always say thank you for your faithfulness, that's not just words to tickle your ears and make you feel better about yourselves. It's true, because when we make a, a commitment to move forward financially, we do it because that's where God is calling us, and we trust that God is going to provide the money to do it. What if we believed all that? What if God allowed the Christian church of today, people today, to experience the same miraculous power? That sense of awe, the radical commitment and the devotion, the togetherness, and then the growth that the church in Acts experienced. What if? What if? The open door was blessed by God to see human lives and hearts and families radically transformed by the love of Jesus. Now, never had a bee buzz around my head in the message before. I'm not losing my mind if I do that, all right? Just, it's just instinct. Now, I know there's people who are going to say that can't happen because the world has changed. There's folks who say that that's in the Bible. That happened 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. The world is a different place. It isn't going to happen. Quit being so idealistic. I understand that. For 10 years, believe me, that's about all I've heard from people outside this place. You know, that's true. The world has changed. But I'll tell you what has changed. It isn't God. God is unchanging. God hasn't changed. People have changed. 
Our ears have changed. What we expect from church, what we look for, what we want, what we think we deserve, that's what has changed. God's desire for his church has not changed. God's love for people has not changed. The sacrificial death on the cross that Jesus made for your sins has not changed. What's changed is us. See, in that first century church, those Jewish people had gone to temple and they'd heard all about God. They'd heard all about his rules, all about his laws, all about all the, all the ways that he was disappointed and the way the leaders judged him. What they hadn't heard was love. And then suddenly there's this thing called the good news, which is the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus for the forgiveness of human sins. See, they heard that good news with ears that had never heard it before. It was the first time they'd heard it. It truly was good news. First time that it had been heard. And the fact is, that's not the world that we live in anymore. That's not who we are. See, we hear it through cynical ears. We hear the good news through sinful hearts and minds and doubting ears and a personal church history and experience that's more often than not seems to be filled with the devil at work, not God at work among people. But they heard it with fresh ears. See, they they, they understood. We'll talk about more of this in a moment. They, They understood The meaning of Jesus' death and resurrection and the depth of their sinfulness the way that most of us don't today. Because what we do is we justify our own sins while we we point out and judge the sins of others. And for an awful lot of you, the story that I've heard over and over for 10 years is that's why I had to leave, was they basically shamed me out. They kicked me out. They told me that I had to leave. There just wasn't a place for us to stay. That's not the Christian church, folks. That's people creating their own little place. Because that's not Jesus at work. Ten years ago, I read these words from Acts 2, and I asked the question I've been asking myself, what if? What if God wanted to do an incredible miracle like that with this church? What if? We were barely started. We were a name on a piece of paper that filed a fee to say that we wanted to become a church. But what if God did that with us? What if we followed this short five-verse example and, and said, what if God wanted to do that again today? See, God can do anything that he chooses. He could bless us or he could choose not to. But what if he chooses to bless, outrageously bless, this startup, broke, seven-people church that's planted in a town that's too small? I know that. Don't plant a church in a town that small. I've heard it a thousand times. In an area that's already filled with denominational churches that do church really well. I know. I was aware of that. I grew up in one. And people who are not actually unchurched, but you know what? I found that we've reached people a lot like me. You're over church. You're over church. You've been there. You've done that. You bought the t-shirt and you left. And the reason that you did, the reason you're over church is you got sick of it because maybe the church was religious. Maybe the church that, that you came from was, was, was in its own way proper. More than likely it was partly dead. Maybe didn't know it yet. It was organized. It just wasn't authentic. You couldn't find people who actually believed what they were hearing enough to live it. Because the people still gossiped. Still lied. They still lived six days a week like they didn't even have an idea who Jesus was. But on Sunday morning, boy, there they were. Too many people didn't live like they'd actually been transformed by Jesus. The the Bible talks about a new creation, but you're hard-pressed to see anybody that's a living example of it. 
They talk about change and they talk about money and baptizing and marrying and burying. But as you looked around, you had a hard time seeing anybody who had actually been changed by the death and the resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness of our sins. See, this, that's so much of what we find in the church and why we get so sick of it and why the world calls us hypocrites. That's why. That, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not who we are when we've been transformed. And for so many of us, church just simply became irrelevant because there was nothing about it that we could see that actually made sense in our lives. We saw people that did all of this. And yet the Bible says that, that Jesus forgives us of all of that. And then the other thing, and this doesn't happen all over the world, but this happens a lot in, in our part of Minnesota and our part of the country. We get taught the lesson that having your baby baptism stamp card stamped is your free ticket to eternity. It's not true. It's a biblical untruth. It's a theological lie. A personal relationship with Jesus in putting your belief and hope and trust and faith in him. That's how we get to go to heaven. And so we see this. And we see it in people who go to church and call themselves Christian. And rather than the world telling us that we're hypocrites, we start telling each other that we're hypocrites. And it's true. Because we're all sinners. The problem is that we don't hear the rest of the story. And I didn't want to be a part of a church that just accepted this is okay. This is what we're trying to overcome. This is what we're trying to escape. This is the us that we don't want to be anymore. And that's why we come to Jesus. See, the reason for this amazing church that we see in the book of Acts is because people had heard the good news of Jesus. They knew religion. They'd all grown up in it. They heard the good news of Jesus and they believed what they heard. They believed in him. They were changed. They were transformed. They were made a new creation. And the people around them saw the results. They saw there was something different. They saw those people they'd known for years in their daily lives. And they said there's something different about them. So let's take a look at the words of the package, uh, passage and see what it really says. Let's see what it, what it really talks about. What did the people do? What did God do? And then I'm going to invite you to do something that I invited people to do 10 years. Dream boldly with me. For yourself, your family, and for our church. Dream boldly and ask what if. So verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayers. It's important that we understand what happened just prior to this, and that was that the God poured the Holy Spirit out. And people heard the good news of Jesus in their own language, and suddenly the Holy Spirit is at loose on earth. God released the Holy Spirit, and that was the fuel, the Holy Spirit. He was the energy. He was the driving force behind everything that happens in the Christian church since that day. So that everything that follows when the Holy Spirit was poured out, begins to grow in his power, not our power, which is why today isn't a celebration of us. Today is a celebration of God and his Holy Spirit at work. And what the Holy Spirit began to do was to initiate radical change in people that not only they felt, but the people around them felt and saw. Radical change, transformation, new creation. The Bible says that there's, they caused them to commit themselves to four things in this verse. Here they are. They devoted themselves to learning from the apostles' teaching. What were they teaching? They were teaching about who Jesus was. This was what it was like to be around him. This is what his life, death, and resurrection means for you, and this is what your sin means in light of it. They began to teach the truth 
of who Jesus was. There's the good news. They started spending time together as believers. They were devoted to spending time with other Christians. And so often what I hear people say is, you know what? I like my church enough, but I'm just not real thrilled with the people I go to church with. You know what? I don't understand that. I love the people I get to go to church with. There's only seven days a week that we get to spend with each other. That's not enough time. And yet so many of us choose to spend all of our time with people that don't even go to church. That's not what they devoted themselves to. Third thing was sharing meals together. They they shared meals, and we know because of the the biblical record, they shared in baptisms, and they shared in Holy Holy Communion, and they lived life together. And finally, to prayer. And if you want to know how vital a church is, if you want to know what a church is really made of, listen to the prayers of the people there. Because here's what happens. So often a church uh, prays the prayers that are printed in a book. And they don't relate to where you are at the moment. They don't relate to what life is going on around you. But they're there and so they pray them. You want to go to a vital church? Hear the prayers of the people and see how bold they are. How How big do they dare to dream? Because I'll tell you what, the prayer that you pray... Gives you a glimpse into how big your God is. Because the God that I know, the God that has been a part of this place for 10 years, is capable of anything. And so we ask him for everything. God, if this is what you're calling to, we don't have a clue about how to do it, but we know that you do. Are they God-sized prayers or are they emergency self-serving 911 prayers that you don't really believe but you don't have another out? Unfortunately, there's churches that do the same thing. See, none of those things that they did, they're not rocket science. They're not hard to do. They're not difficult things to follow. You don't have to go to a class to figure them out. You don't need to buy the book. The problem is that we get too busy doing all the other stuff to devote ourselves to any one of those things rather than all of them. New Year's resolution for someone that goes to church, more often than not, is I'm going to read my Bible more and I'm going to pray more, right? By February 1st, what was my resolution? We just get too busy. We're well-intended on January 1st, but we get too busy. They devoted themselves to all of those things. And here's the deal. If you're looking at this church and you maybe heard about us and this is your first time you're watching, this is the first time that you visited, you're going to get a little bit of glimpse into how I'm wired. Here's the deal. I said this 10 years ago. I'll say it again in front of all of you today. I will not pastor, pastor a Sunday morning church. I have no interest. I spent too much of my life being a Sunday morning Christian and that was good enough. I will only pastor a seven day a week church. If you're looking for a church where you can be a Sunday morning, a Christian and a six and a half day a week sinner, you're in the wrong place. We're going to love you, but that's not the message that you're going to hear in force. What we believe in is what they talk about in the book of Acts. And that's a seven day church full of seven day Christians. We're not all there. But you know what? A transformed sinner who God now sees as a saint wants to spend time with other Christians. We're still going to sin. We know that. But God's turned us into saints through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. We're not righteous on our own. We're righteous because of him. So what if we devoted ourselves like they did? What if we believed so much and allowed God to transform us the way that he transformed the people in this early church? What would happen? What could God do? And why is that important? Because only when those things happen, is God going to do miracles among us? See, God blesses our obedience, and we know that because in verse 43 it says this, And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. The word awe really is better translated as fear. And fear came upon all of them. Well, you don't want to go to church to be afraid, right? Here's the problem. We're not afraid the way they were. 
The reason that they were afraid is they heard the good news of Jesus. They were around. They had heard the stories that they didn't see it. They, they knew Jesus had hung on a cross for something he didn't do. And what they were hearing from the apostles was, he died for your sins. He died for your sins because of your sins, Jesus went to the cross willingly and died for your sins so that your sins could be forgiven. And they realized the depth of the cost for Jesus. And they realized the depth of their sin that caused him to pay that price. And when we hear that with fresh ears, when we hear the good news, because that's it, when we hear the good news where it really is and our place in it, there is a fear that takes over us. It isn't that we're afraid. It's that we realize what it is that God has done for us. So often we don't understand and we don't connect the dots between Jesus' death and our sin. But this early church did. And so the fear and the trembling that often happens with a new believer, they hear the gospel for the first time, someone that's never heard about the Bible, doesn't know who Jesus is. There's a fear. There's an awe. I didn't realize that I was living like this. It's a good thing. It's a realization of the goodness of God and, and the recognition of our sinfulness. It isn't a pit that we go into. It's a celebration that we get to have. And then the Bible says because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders were being done. The people were seeing supernatural proof of God and they were witnessing miracles. In 10 years pastoring this church, we have seen miracles. We have seen medical diagnosis turn around. We've seen x-rays that have all kinds of spots clear up. We've seen broken arms set back. And whatever you choose to believe about that, I have seen them. The supernatural power of God at work. See, what all this tells me is Luke wants us to know that when we're devoted to God and his purposes, not our own agenda, we're going to see miracles. It's normal full of a healthy church full of Christians. Verse 45, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That doesn't mean you've got to sell all of your stuff to join the open door. Please don't. That's what they call joining a cult. What it means is the people showed selfless generosity. They took care of anyone who was around them. They realized if I had a little bit more and you had a little bit less, how can I do to help? That's the Christian church at its best. See, the fact of the matter is God gave some of us the ability to make more money and entrusted more money to us. And for some of us, God gave us less money. But you know what? Gave us other gifts and abilities and talents. And so much in our world, we, we equate those as the haves and the have nots. But that's not the way that God sees it in the spiritual world, because you know what? These folks have just as much to offer as these folks do. And they all gave as anyone had need. It didn't matter what it was. What they were known for was selfish generosity. And so Christian generosity whether it's caring for somebody who's in need or if it's giving generously of your finances to your church, it doesn't begin with money. It begins with a transformation of your heart and mind. Because too many churches are selfish, rich places. And there's no Christian generosity about them at all. Verse 45, selling your possessions. Verse 46, and day by day, Attending the temple together, they went to church because that was where they knew to meet. And breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and sincere heart, glad and generous hearts. Daily, daily, daily. I'm not talking about pastoring a seven-day-a-week church because it's what I want. It's because it's biblical. Daily they met. Every day they met with other believers. We've got a 70-acre property that we can meet on every day. We've got room for a lot of people to meet every day out here. But most days it's empty. 
daily they met. Why? Because they wanted to spend time with other believers. They met in each other's houses and they did it with gratitude. Sounds like life groups. And when Pastor Jeff calls, say, hey, would you host a life group? No, my house is too small. You know what? Maybe your house is smaller than what you want, but it's big enough. Are you willing? What if you said yes? What could God do if you said yes? Why do we have life groups? Why do we talk about being a seven day a week church? Because that's what the Bible talks about. And then they're grateful for what they had. Man, what if? You know what the result is? Verse 47, and too many churches jump to verse 47 and say, this is what we want. But you got to go through everything that happens before it first. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's the what if result. That's where we started 10 years. What if? If we do these things faithfully, not about us. Humbly, but pouring ourselves into it. God didn't promise, but that's the result in the first century church. What if? See, so often churches jump to, to verse 47 and they ask God to bless them with big numbers and lots of people and, and activities and programs. But that's not the order that's laid out in Scripture. Part of what happened in America 20 years ago is we figured out how to build megachurches. I mean megachurches, 20, 50, 60,000 member churches. And the formula is pretty simple. You find a few big donors... You find a very engaging preacher. You find a great, well-paid worship team. You build a big space. You entertain people. You don't say anything that puts anybody ill at ease. You tell people what they want to hear, and you affirm them in their sin, and you rake in lots of money, and more people come to be a part of it. I I was raised and went through seminary in my early ministry career. The idea was that that was what we were supposed to go do. But you know what? There's no personal relationship there. And Jesus came to have a personal relationship with us. So what we said all along from the beginning here, I I said over and over and over, I don't want to be a part of a church that grows mushrooms. No roots, little depth, don't do much for what's around them. I want to be a part of a church that grows oak trees, deep roots, big arms, reaches out and makes a difference in the world that's around them. See, the Holy Spirit is welcomed and the people, people become faithful and devoted to the work of being a disciple and being the church. And then and only then, God blesses them with the favor of the people around them because God knew that he could trust them. Because people were being transformed and when they invited their friends and their co-workers to church, their friends and co-workers said yes because they wanted to know what was different about their friend or co-worker. And so here's what's happening in your world. I promise you this. If people know that you go to church... They maybe know you as this person. But if you've been transformed, they know there's something different about you. And there's an awful lot of people that you encounter every day that can't get beyond this because they don't know how. And so they try. And they buy books and and they get on diets and they join groups and they do all kinds of stuff. But you know what? The only one that's ever going to get us beyond this is Jesus. And you've got people that you encounter every single day. Maybe you're one of those people. Who still sees yourself as this, not as a new creation, not as a saint. See, what they were seeing back then was people who wanted hope. They wanted to be loved. They wanted to be a part of what God was doing around them. And you know what? The folks that you spend your time with, they need hope too, because our world doesn't have much to offer. The, 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 the vaccine to end COVID isn't going to end COVID. The next presidential election isn't going to change our world the way that you hope it will. 
Whatever happens at your job or whatever happens with your bank account or whatever happens with your family, it isn't going to cure or make ultimately better anything at all. Only Jesus will. And you have the answer. And there's people out there that are dying right now wanting to be a part of that. And so do you know why the Lord added to the numbers of that first church? Because the people who went out after they met were transformed. They were changed. They were different. And they told people why. That it isn't about you, but it's about Jesus. See, God blesses our obedience. God, God loves a generous heart. God loves when his children passionately pursue his son Jesus. So what if? Looking back on the last decade, we've made some mistakes. We've made some big mistakes. I've made some mistakes. I, I tell our elders and I tell everyone who is on our staff team, I say, you know what? If God's calling you to do something, then you do it for everything you're worth. And if it doesn't work out, that's okay, because the only way that we're going to learn is if we make mistakes and grow from them. If we always do everything right, we're going to think it's about us, and it's not. Dream big. Try big. Fail big. So I wonder... I wonder what if we've made our mistakes, but we've remained faithful. We've remained faithful to the call that God placed on us to love Jesus and to love people and to teach people to love Jesus. And you know what God has done? He's blessed us. Not necessarily in the way that the world thinks about blessing, but, but you know, and, and I, I, I've said this to people uh, who've called and I've had interesting conversations with. They say, what, what's the greatest blessing your congregation has ever gotten? I said, it's the only blessing that God ever gives any congregation. That's people. You go back to the Old Testament, the only thing they understood, Abraham understood blessing is people. You know what the blessing is to this place? Is you. You're the blessing to this place. God has blessed us because we have an opportunity to reach people with the love of Jesus. And so I look forward to the next 10 years, the next decade, and I think, What's God going to do among us next? You talk about anticipation. I wonder what God is going to do among us next. How will God reach our communities through us? How will God direct us to be instruments of his kingdom in the mission field that is West Central Minnesota and beyond? And I got, a, I got news for you. The mission field is changing because here's the deal. God is bringing the world to us. If you haven't paid attention or you haven't driven through the area lately, there are people that have come from other countries around the world that do not speak your language. They do not know your Jesus and they do not recognize your religion. God is bringing the mission field to us. And I wonder, what is God going to do with us to allow us to reach them? Because 10 years ago, we said we want to be all in for mission. So we've gone all over the world. We sent money to people that are doing great work all over the world. What's God going to do with us right here at home? Maybe God will bless us with the opportunity to be a part of a revival. Or maybe a renewal. Take people who know Jesus but hear about him for a new time, in a new way, a renewed understanding. Maybe a sweeping transformation of human hearts from selfish to disciple-servant. From all about ourselves first for as believers to seeing the world truly as Christians the way Jesus did. And we see the world as people who need the transforming love of Jesus themselves. But then it comes down to this part of it. What about you? What's your what if? What are you holding back from God? What are you not willing to give to God? What is it you're holding on to and say, as soon as you fix this, then I'll do that for you? Because it doesn't work like that. What's the what if in your life? You understand the what if for us. What about for you? 
What will you invite God to do next in your life? What will you say yes to without knowing the answer? And so I hope as the pastor, senior pastor of the Open Door Christian Church, I hope you will join us for the next decade because God is doing great things and you don't want to miss it. But you know what? I also don't want you to miss it because you don't know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus in a personal way and you haven't surrendered your life to him, you know what? Right now might be the single best opportunity that you have in your life. It might be the last opportunity. We don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. Say, I'll deal with it tomorrow, Pastor Steve. I'll deal with it tomorrow. What promise do you have you're going to wake up tomorrow? Maybe right now, right here in this moment is the time when you've got to clean up this stuff. And rather than trying to fix it yourself, you say, Jesus, I'm going to give it to you. And I'm going to lay at the foot of the cross. And I'm going to trust you to forgive me and take care of it. Transform my life, Jesus. Maybe your heart's ready for a radical transformation. Maybe you've lived life on your terms for so long. You don't know what it is not to fight. Maybe it's time to give up the fight and to give it back to the only one who can win it for you because your sins have already been paid for if you'll just accept him. So I invite you to accept the free gift of salvation that's offered to you in the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because you know why Jesus died and was raised from the grave? For the forgiveness of your sins right now. What if? What if you said yes? Our next decade, it it begins today. But what if you said yes to Jesus and your eternity is assured that you get to spend that in heaven with him begins today as well? Because at the end of the day, for 10 years, there's one reason that we've preached in this place. It's for salvation. Jesus died for our sins and was raised from the grave so that we might be saved from our sins. We preach for salvation. If you do not know where you're going when this life ends, maybe today is your right now. What if you said yes to him? Let's pray. God, thank you for the example of this early church in the book of Acts. Thank you that you've given us a a model of what the church can be. God, I, I thank you for. I thank you for what you have done through this place. God, I I thank you for the other examples of Bible teaching, Jesus loving Christian churches that are out there that get the good news of Jesus' death and the resurrection out to people. I thank you, God, that we're not alone doing that. God, I also thank you for everyone who has been a part of this place from 10 years ago to today. I also thank you for all those people that we who have just begun to meet or who we have not met yet, because we know that we are here for your purpose, God. For everyone who's having that right now moment, maybe it's a renewal, maybe it's to to give ourselves back to you, that we've strayed and we've let other things become more important to you. Maybe that's the very first time we say, Jesus, I get it. I understand. I hear, I hear that bald guy preaching. That stuff on the cross, it represents my life, and I need, to, I need to let it go. I need to give it to you. So, God, to all those people, I pray, that, uh, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just fill them, that as they say yes to Jesus, you would, you would create in them a new creation, that you would begin right now, a transformation of their heart and minds. God, we, uh, we lift up Pete and Roger, who are today flying to the East Coast for a transplant surgery, that you would uh, give them safe travels to be with the surgeons and, and the team as those guys recover, be with Darwin, who had an accident last week and is continuing to heal. Thank you that it was not worse than it was. God, that was our prayer. And so we just thank you for that answered prayer that you continue to heal him. And, you know, everybody who's here, we all know folks that are hurting. They're suffering. They're dying. Maybe it's us. Maybe we're 
suffering because someone we know has died. God, you're the healer. You're the great physician. You're the one that can take care of all that. So, God, we give it all to you. Rather than caring and worrying about it, God, we trust in you. I just pray that you would be the miracle worker, that you would be the healer, that you would be the way maker through all of those situations. Because that is who you are. That is what you have done. And so, God, we thank you for that. And we thank you for the, the ministry, the journey, the possibilities that are in the decade ahead. And we know that we just want to follow you wherever you lead us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So to finish up our Acts 2 message today, here is, if you've never heard the gospel, if you've never heard the good news of Jesus for you in your life, here it is, as quick as I can sum it up. This is who you and I are. This is what we bring to Jesus. On our best day, we're little more than this. But Jesus hung on the cross and he literally covered all of that. And when he died, he paid the price, the penalty for all of that junk that we have in us. And when God raised him from the grave, he raised him to a new life. And it says when we're baptized, we've died with Christ and we're raised to a new life with Christ. And so what ends up happening? Jesus hung on the cross and his righteousness covered all of your sin. If you don't know Jesus personally, you're still carrying this. If you do know Jesus, you still have some of this in you, but he's forgiven you of it. The gospel is as simple as this. Jesus died for your sins because there's nothing in the world that you can do to pay the price. And he loves you so much that all that he asked you to do was to believe in him. There's the good news of the gospel right there.